<laughs> okay, go. This is Pratima Arubhumi from Craft Street Design, and you are listening to Room Room Veer by Jeff Smith. Well done. Is that okay? No, that was great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was like a little shy. <laughs> yeah because i was trying to you know keep all the words together i wrote them down <laughs> <laughs> well that's good that's good it's good to have a script <laughs> good job all right i'm gonna hit stop and then uh, and then we'll start the show okay are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up frenzied and far too often scripted life then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? It's awesome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked. Yeah, we're hanging out on Sunday and uh, and my football game starts in like an hour. So we know for sure we're going to end on time. This is, <laughs> this is good. This is like a box. I, okay, I can deal with this. <laughs> yeah. And thanks, by the way, for sending me free books. That was awesome. You're very welcome. I'm glad they showed up. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you still wanted to have the conversation after hearing I, my story. Oh, no way. I was I was hooked. <laughs> so you are now at totalcontrolfinancial.com and you talk a, a lot about the EQRP. We'll get into more of that later, but talk to us a little bit about what's going on there and uh, what you're most excited about in that business. Uh, definitely. So my all my work, my my focus right now is on the company that I founded this spring in 2016 called Total Control Financial. Right. And this is, it's a narrow focus. So before that, I think I had about 40 focuses, which is kind of an oxymoron. It was sure. all over the place. <laughs> and like, like, you know, a lot of people we get all excited. We're bouncing around. There's, we're not really burning holes with any laser focus. And so this spring, I, I put all my bag and all my eggs in one basket and went all in to found this company, build a team and and go after kind of a big institution. We're going after Wall Street, so we're we're focusing on disrupting Wall Street and empowering Main Street with financial skills, tools, and 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 a way to get out of this roller coaster that people tend to live in on Wall Street. But that was that was all because of twenty years of of stuff that happened that built put me in that position. So that's I think what that I get into. I, yeah, we can totally <laughs> dive into that because that's 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 the, juice, the fun that's stuff, the great, right? Yeah, right. It's the fun stuff. It time. is for sure. Okay, so we will definitely talk more about what an EQRP is. Uh, I'm guessing it's the E version of Qualified Retirement Plan. Am I right? You, you sir, are correct. <laughs> the E version, which is very fascinating. I just love, uh, I call that almost like a money hack. Uh, that's, yes. Yeah, which is awesome. I love it. So, okay, but before we get into all, all things Total Control Financial, let's go back in time. And talk about you. What were you like in high school? Where did you grow up and uh, who'd you hang out with? All right, Jeff. So back in high school, I don't know about you, but I actually had hair back then. I had this I remember hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember hair. Yeah. We're it's both, like we're both you know, very high speed, low drag right now, but we uh, are. We had hair at some point in our lives. Yes. You, you know what's funny about that is that when you a senior in high school, or that there's like the senior superlatives or something where everybody gets awards, and I was hoping to be most likely to succeed, best math student or something. And what I got award for, I got loveliest locks. That's how big and <laughs> my hair was. Wow. I, I was like, seriously, wow. all these, all this time, I work on all my stuff in school, academics, yeah. and I'm doing all these extracurricular, and, and I got. get best hair. You got, you got Kenny G. I did. No, I, yeah, it was Kenny G. I mean, it was. Yeah. Did, were, they, were they long, lustrous locks? Is that why? Or it, it was. I had this massive fro, and so I, oh, and I was really, fro. really skinny, and so I had this like top-heavy body thing going on. And it was before <laughs> fros were in and cool. I was, and, and the, the thing that's crazy is I grew up in Alaska, so there was no trend setting. We were trend following by like a decade. Yeah. So I didn't. You know, I was. I don't know what happened. Maybe so I was catching the seventies. I don't know. You, you grew up in Alaska. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazingly weird. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a, 
I mean, it's a place that is so much fun to visit. It's a very strange place to live because you, you know, get used to winters where the sun goes up and goes down while you're indoors and you miss it for basically a couple of months. I mean, it's a little strange. It just goes away altogether. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's kind of you. You're in school or you're in work, and then it's. It's up and down, and you. You go. You're like, what well, is the sun here? Does it exist? But it's so normal when you're in an environment, which right. is really humans. We can adapt. We can adapt right. to anything. Right, we right. just it becomes normal. So that was that was my normal until I left and went. Holy crap! What was that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a similar experience because I grew up in uh, northern Michigan. Uh, Michigan's beautiful Upper Peninsula. I don't know, probably not familiar, but uh, it is similar. It's not as far north. So, but like around November, it starts getting dark around 4.30 in the afternoon. Yes. Yeah. So it's like very, very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, you know, it's funny. So I was, I remember frozen tundra. It, it, it is, and the the, the wild part um, in the summer is that the sun is basically up all the time. So right. I, I remember my freshman year in high school, and I went to Montana, and I saw the Fourth of July fireworks. I actually saw them. I didn't just hear them because in Alaska, they go off and you're like, where are they? You just listen. It's like a radio <laughs> show. There's no video. There's no visual. So I'm like, holy cow. Everybody's you like, can what is actually this? Like the first see time. fireworks? <laughs> you can see them. I saw them. I think for the first time in like full Technicolor. It was amazing. Wow. So gro- growing up in Alaska is thoroughly mind distorting. It, it is. And the, the funniest part is when people go up there and visit in July and they go, this is amazing. And then they, they go home wherever they are. They pack up and they say, I'm moving to Alaska. They show up in November and they go, what the hell happened? It's frozen. It's gray. It's There's no green. It's constantly it's depressing. Dark. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's like a big mind blow. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of kid were you? Who did you hang out with? I, I was I was the kid that was always kind of getting into trouble and doing my own thing and resisting authority. I don't know that maybe sounds like somebody out there listening. It's I, I was you were the I, bad boy. I I was yeah I was kind of like on a the rebel edge. without a clue. Yeah, and uh, and <laughs> making my own path and okay. thinking I knew a lot. And it's funny how as we get older we realize how little we know. But earlier we knew everything, and right. and so that was I was doing that. And I, and I wanted it my way. Like, you know, I had nice humble pie back in the beginning. I was, sure. it was all about the way I knew things should be. And, and I wanted things a certain way. So, I mean, that <laughs> I remember when I wanted to play video games and I wanted to have a, like at 11 years old, I wanted to be able to do certain things. And I was told, no, 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 there's, we don't have money for that. You can't do that. And, and I sort of categorically rejected the idea of no, that there is a scarcity. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah. I, sorry, I don't buy in. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. It, that just doesn't resonate. And so that, that was when I first I started my first business when I was 11, buying and selling Nintendo games, wholesale retail, and having my parents, I actually hired my parents to drive me around to do these transactions. And it was, it worked. It gave me the games. It gave me this income. And I'm, I think my parents were just trying to figure out what I was doing. And as long as I wasn't in jail, they're like, great, we'll support this. And Yeah, and it's it, a paper it, route, that's for sure. It, you know, I ended up doing that my senior year in high school, which I don't think was the smartest thing. Cause yeah, you're, you're a little too old at that point. Yeah. 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 I mean, I kind of did everything, but that was, that was the beginning. And, um, back when the entrepreneur kind of popped out and when I was doing things different and I just rejected some of these ideas cause we were in a, a pretty normal average kind of middle-class dad was military and, and mom worked in the school. And so it was, there was, there was a limited amount of resources that I was told we had. And sure. that has never worked for me. I don't like that idea. I think it's, it's, it is an idea. I think we make it up. And so I, I started going out there and doing the opposite of what everybody kind of told me I should do. So did you have any brothers and sisters? I d- yeah, I have, have a two, two little sisters and an older brother. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so, so you're somewhere in the middle. So you got beat up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I kind of did get messed with. Uh, and, yeah. and it was, you know, the, the, that, that's probably one of the reasons that I, I got so excited about martial arts over the years and spent the last <laughs> right. 20 years. I, I don't really worry about that much anymore. I feel right. like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty solid and, and I can move through life without getting punched in the head like I did in junior high. So that's sure. Wow. That's probably, that's, that's amazing. So getting picked on basically led you to martial arts. 
I think that that definitely had something to do with it. And it was funny because the 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 original martial art that I played with back in in like high school was was karate and taekwondo, and they never really resonated with me. And and when I found aikido, which is the art of peace, there's this this learning, this becoming that that happens where you end up moving fluidly through life. And the more you study, the more you become that art. You, the the more free you you are. And it's not about going into conflict or hurting anything. It's just you're you're you kind of awaken to being in flow everywhere you go and, and everywhere you are. So it's it's a very interesting, strange experience uh, that is pretty unique in that art. Yeah, yeah. I, I can, uh, I had, have you ever heard of Kempo Karate? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Kempo Karate, I think, as a style is pretty cool because I think they, they basically focus on wanting to teach you street fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which, is, which is pretty cool because, you know, it's not, it's like, Hey, we'll do anything we got to do <laughs> to avoid this fight, essentially, you know? Yes. Um, which is awesome. But in my experience, the, the, the particular school that I was involved in, um, it, it's, it felt like the, at the time like a bit like a uh, belt factory. Yes. Okay. Many are. Many are. Yeah. <laughs> so that turned me off. Oh, mm-hmm. and by the way, I, I had just recently graduated from white to purple. And then, uh, then got sucker punched. So I was like, "Screw this!" <laughs> you know, typical twenties guy reaction. You know, blame the school for my l- lack of a. Uh, well, essentially, I was just drunk. That's why I got sucker punched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had nothing to do with anything about you. It was, it was all the. It was all the style. It was definitely that, right? Right. Well, it's it's a fun story, but I've already told it. So, uh, you know, I was. Uh, I was waiting in line at uh, at an ATM, pretty drunk, uh, and this was the day of the Rodney King verdict. Do you remember? Mm, sure. Yeah. So everybody was real excited. There was like riots in LA, and <clears throat> this guy, he he like looked at me or tapped me on the shoulder, and he asked me if I was white, and he was black, right? And in my drunken like. Like, mm, what's going on? <laughs> right? I, I just kind of like looked at my hands and I was like, yeah, last time I checked, I was white. You know, very cocky, stupid thing to say. And, and he just kind of like shook his head and, and went back to his business. And then I got sucker punched. <laughs> right? So I come out of the daze and he's like, hey, man, are you down with Rodney King? And I'm like, who the hell's Rodney King? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> In my head. I didn't say that. Right? Uh, and then I figured it out and I remembered and I, and I, uh, so I looked around and I was like, wow, there's a lot of black people over there and there's a lot of white people behind me. I was like, oh, right. He was wronged. And that was it. That, that, that was all it took. And every, all, everything calmed down and no fight ensued. And I got a really nice black guy. Yeah. You got a memento. <laughs> I and, did. And an experience. Yeah. <laughs> And I quit Kempo. <laughs> wow. One little black eye and you're out. I'm out. Done. I'm out. Well, I was already kind of upset about the whole belt factory thing. So, Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it kind of reminds me of, of one of the chapters in, in my book, Reinvented Life. I talk about success versus fulfillment. Right. And the idea of, of belts is a lot of times how people show up in martial arts. They go, I want to I wanna get a black belt. How long is that going to take? And I, I go, well, it's about 10 minutes and 10 bucks. Go down to the, the local sporting goods store. You can buy your belt. You can put it right. on. You're done. You've exactly. got a black belt. You got a black belt. And that's, that's your success. Or, or like you can go to a school that says pay this much money every month and in a year. Or I guess if it's Tony Robbins, it's six months, then you're, you're a black belt. And, <laughs> right. And, I, you know, that doesn't make any sense because really what is it that you want? You want a deeper level of you and that's what happens when you become black belt it's it's a process of fulfillment that it's it's a transformation of you internally to show up differently it's not just about a belt you throw on your waist and that's what success is and people get totally disconnected between those two they focus on success and really they wonder why they're always yearning for something else yeah yeah you know that's that uh, i i figured out something you know and i and i noted that when i read that part of your book i shouldn't say i read your book i was skimming see so i i still want to read it but as i was looking things over and you know kind of like gliding over things it uh yeah you, you you go to the point of a lot of times what we do in life like that black belt that you just bought online 
is just filling a square instead of doing the thing. That's right. It's like this representation to show on a resume to say, look, I did it <laughs> instead of actually doing it, you know? Yeah. All, all the, the, the thing on the resume isn't the thing. It's, it's all the hard work that goes into whatever it is. It's, it's showing up, which is really what, what it is in our life. It's all about showing up. And it's what's also very uncommon and rare. It's, right. it's a thing that we're afraid of doing because that proverbial Tyrannosaurus Rex is going to bite our head off and eat us if we actually show up. So it's better just to hide in a, you know, hide behind a tree. Right, right. Oh, the, 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 the T-Rex of fear. Yes, and the yes. monkey brain. Lovely, yes. lovely, monkey lovely. Brain. Yeah. So let's, let's go back and talk about you when you were in college or did you even go to college? I don't know. Yeah, Jeff, I, I went to college. I went four times. I was I, – I All right. I did, this yeah, is awesome. I didn't get – yeah, yeah. Well, the first time I was all excited because, like you, I was I was thinking Air Force, and and I went to the ROTC program because I wanted to fly a jet. Okay. And and so I got this this scholarship to go. And by the end of the first year, I was on track. And they did an eye test, and they said, eh, "You're not going to be able to really fly. You can fly a desk, but you can't really fly a jet because you'll run into a mountain. Your depth perception depth perception is off." Right. And I said, "I I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't. This isn't what I'm looking for. I need I need something that's more interesting. And flying a desk is not." interesting to me. So sure. left there and, and it went off and started working in the oil fields up in Alaska. And that was, I actually had a plan and this is the brilliance of being a 19 year old and, and having a big vision. My big vision was to spend three years in the Arctic circle, washing dishes, make a hundred thousand dollars, put it in the bank and trade stocks. And I was going to retire at 22. That was my plan. So I like that plan. Yeah, except my brain was going to mush. I was washing dishes and my brain was like turning to goo coming out my ears. It was really, really bad. Right. And so that didn't that lasted like six months. And then I, I went off to I moved to Arizona the first time and ended up in college a few more times working. Uh, I went to New Mexico. I went to University of Phoenix, the online thing that we yeah, call yeah. college. Right. And, and, and then ultimately went to the University of Texas for a full 45 minutes as a full-time student. Wow, and I went, a whole 45 what minutes. Am I doing? Yeah, it was, it, I was like, why am I doing this? And, and in my mind, I had this idea that I, I was still stuck on the idea that having a degree or in my mind, I was going to go right to the PhD in economics. That was going to make me successful. That'll even do though it. I had, it, it was like, I, I was obsessed with that. And it was, it was thinking based on probably my parents and people that had said over the years, when are you going to finish school? And so I went there and I went, this is not who I am. I'm not, I, I, I study and I learn and I love growth. It's one of my six core values. Yeah. But when I was there, it wasn't about growth. It was about a certain way of doing things and programming people. And that categorically did not work for me. So I was out. I ran off the campus with my hair on fire. I had the main <laughs> hair. It was gone. And, and that was the end so of that. So all, all the locks are gone at this point. Oh, oh yeah, they were, they were totally gone. And I, I should have known better that when I was in New Mexico in school, I did a miniature version of Michael Dell. I started my business in my dorm room. I was I, I thought, what's what could I do that is going to solve a problem? Oh, okay. and, and that's always a great idea to think, what problem can I solve? The problem was everybody was getting ripped off by the bookstore, and I thought I could do something better so I could match people up between the, with the used books. And so I convinced the post office to let me flyer every box and, and basically created a, a book exchange and in the last week of school during finals, I'm running all over campus, pulling people's books, saying, I'll see you in an hour, taking their books across campus to somebody else, selling these books. And the, the president of the school calls me into his office and he said, you cannot do this. The bookstore is literally going to go out of business and they're going to leave. And I said, yeah, but it's paying for school. He said, you can either stop or, or we're going to kick you out. And I said, well, I'm not going to stop. So I'll just finish up and leave. And so I paid for school in three days and, and left. And it was just me getting the universe – uh, to, it, the message from the universe saying, you're not supposed to be here becoming an engineer. That's not who you are. It's not why you're here. And, right. and I, kept, I kept arguing with it until I finally said, okay, I give, I surrender. I'll just go with the flow I here. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somewhere, uh, one of the things that, that you said uh, in your book was there was this list of, I can't remember, it was like a quote, right? It was like, don't, don't think it's true because it's a wise man, that, that one. And then at the end, it was like the last one was um, believe it's true because it feels true to you, mm -hmm. right? Um, that sort of like that, that little note reminded me of this, this question. I think it was um, some wise man. I can't remember his name. Maybe Neil Donald Walsh. Maybe Welsh. Walsh. Anyway, mm -hmm. the conversation with, with God guy. 
He said yep. something like the um, the universe is constantly asking you who you are. Yes. And then what you do is your answer. Yes. Not what you say or what you think. <laughs> no. But what you put on tape, right? And uh, and and I man, yeah, that just recently has like really resonated with me in like correcting some long-held stupid behaviors. Like say like uh July of this year, um I decided I was going to take a break from alcohol. Mm-hmm. And and I just thought, mm, I'm going to do 45 days. And but I got to the end of the 45 days, I was like, I wonder if I could just like not drink. Could I get away with that? <laughs> And I got out a calendar, right? And I was like, these are the days that I absolutely probably I'm going to drink regardless, right? This this party I go to every year, yeah, I'm going to drink there. Uh, this These days that I go home and visit my parents, that's what they do. I'm probably going to participate. So I counted it out. It was like, mm, I could probably get away with drinking mm, like three, four, five times a year where I must, <laughs> you know, you must. I, I must, <laughs> the universe will demand me outside of that. I could probably not and still be really better off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it worked out, uh, that, that in and of itself, that one little decision of, of not being that guy then kind of like rolled into this this thing where my diet got better and I started losing weight and like just this cascade is what I like to call it of better benefits, you know, of just deciding that I really don't have to be that guy that, you know, is overweight because he drinks a lot. And I, that, I love that. That's actually a very similar leverage point for, for me that, that you're doing, Jeff. It, it's thinking that one thing, and there's typically one thing in these in our lives that's a huge leverage point that, that yeah. will the support everything else. It's the big rock, and, yeah. and it's that one decision, and then it becomes a rhythm, and then it becomes a habit, and then it becomes your, your normal behavior, and, and all of a sudden everything else is be getting better. And you go, hmm. But it's oftentimes the most painful thing, at least in our minds, to change and, so and disrupt. Yeah. And one of my other guests, it was uh, Loretta Bruning. She's a PhD. She talks about how, how much alike we are in brain chemistry to other mammals. She's mm-hmm. the one that like really laid it out. You know, she's like, whenever you try to do something new, i.e. like quit drinking, you know, just quit drinking or change your diet or whatever. Make this big change habit maybe, right? It's going to take 45 days. And on those 45 days, you will feel every day like you are going to die. <laughs> so true. Right? Yeah. 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 And people just, you're not going to die, but you're, you feel like you're going to. So, you, so she's like, you have to have a plan to like somehow deal with that feeling. You know? And my plan was uh, kombucha. Yes. Love it. <laughs> Kombucha, the solution is kombucha. It's, it's, it's enough like beer, and it has trace alcohol. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like my, okay, I'm going to have a beer now. See, look at me. I'm having a beer. It's fizzy. <laughs> it totally worked. It's yeah. Jeff tricking Jeff. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit more about you and, and how you made, what was it, like $20 million? What, how did that happen? All right. So back in 1999, I, I, I was this rock star in my mind, at least real estate or insurance agent. I had my own little agency and, and I, had, I decided after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and watching some 2 a.m. infomercial that I was going to be the next Donald Trump, not knowing that it was going to be President Trump. I was thinking I was going to be a right, real right. estate magnet. So I, I go off and said, I'm done with insurance, a million dollars a year. That's what people were making that were really killing it. That was not enough for Damien. I was going to go make real money. So I went off and, and started buying houses. And and really just shooting from the hip because without a practical understanding of business or real estate, I didn't really have any rules. So I just went out there and killed everything in sight, took every possible seminar. One of the craziest statistics when I looked back and did the math, 
over a five-year period, I spent over a million dollars on coaching and and seminars, personal development and tactical strategy type of stuff. Wow! I, so I really went all in, and then over those those five years, I built up a twenty million dollar portfolio of of houses. Had one hundred and fifty houses, seven different states, and and so I was I, I got very lucky in that I caught the timing. And from 2000 to 2005, I mean, things right. were going up, rates were going down. And, yeah, you were and in the I right was, spot. Boom. I, I was. Yeah. And I thought it was all me. So I thought, I was like, <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? You're a badass. You, uh, right. no, you know, you killed it. This is you. Just go out. My ego was was definitely driving the ship. And, and so in 2005, sold off a bunch of these houses and I had all this cash. And I thought, okay, this is cool. Tried to retire for uh, like a few months and I got bored out of my mind. And I yeah, thought, boring, yeah, I'm going to go back and really, really go for it. So decided I need, needed to do that in my shiny Ferrari, got that cruising around <laughs> and, right. and I'm, um, and then I just went down and leveraged. I mean, I, I took the idea of leverage to a different level and it was funny because one of my mentors said, if you're going to go down, you're not going to go down and, and have a bank on your side. If you only have a few million dollars in debt, you need to have a hundred million. And then the bank is your partner if you're having troubles. <laughs> so in my mind, I'm like, well, shoot, I need to have a hundred million dollars in debt. So I just started cooking and I didn't quite wow. get there. I only got to about 20 million. Yeah. And, and Still, that, that was pretty I close. Mean, it was, I was on my way. I mean, I yeah. was, you know, I was going down the tracks and then right off a cliff. And that was, but that was the 2007, 2008 period where I remember looking at my, my, my balance sheet and I was my balance sheet. That was one of the huge mistakes. Mm. I, I didn't really know who I was except for my balance sheet kept getting bigger. So I must be doing better and I must be achieving something. And, I looked at it and I go, okay, within a year, I'm going to have these these five different projects that are each going to kick about a million dollars into my pocket. So I was feeling really, really smart. Going to double my net worth to 10 million. And a year later, all of them had crashed. Not only had I lost the opportunity and the, the potential profit, but each one of them had cost me around a million bucks. So wow. my net worth went from five million to zero. And Less than zero. I was, yeah, le- yeah, it was definitely, it was under zero. It was definitely a bloody yeah. mess on that sheet of paper. <laughs> Yeah, I remember Donald Trump told a story about seeing a homeless guy when Donald Trump was beyond broke. Yep, and he yep. was like, "Wow, you have more money than I do because you yep. just you're at zero. Mm-hmm. He was like a billion dollars <laughs> negative at that yeah, point when he yeah. when he saw that guy. That guy's worth more than we are, and his yeah. wife's like, "What? What?" <laughs> <laughs> it's true and not true at, at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny how we can equate those the, those numbers to who we are and the danger right. in that. And he he did I, one of my favorite books was The Art of the Comeback when when we he talks about that coming back from that place where I mean all the bankruptcies and just going through it. He maybe he had the whole idea that he was his balance sheet. I mean, maybe he still does. I don't know. I I know that I was. No, I think he and, got over it because he knew yeah. he had the internal resources to come back. And that's the key. It's yeah. it's the key to understanding that you're going to grow from those mistakes and you're going to become better and you're going to actually have wisdom and not just a bunch of academic intelligence that may or may not be relevant. Right. You really go into a space of knowing, not just uh, maybe thinking about something. You really, truly know it. I can look at that now. I, I look at deals. I talk to people about things. And it, it takes seconds, maybe minutes to know whether a deal is smart. I can see the landmines only because I went through them and the emotional intelligence that you gain by right. – that. that Going through it—that's the only way you get the emotional intelligence, and that is way more. The journey, yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And have you? Are you a fan of the uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, the uh, Black Swan, fooled by randomness, anti-fragile? Have you read any of his books? You know, it's funny. I was just—I was just listening to Anti-Fragile this morning before I was listening to you on one of your wow. your shows. Wow. So yeah, no, I am I am familiar. I had a conversation in Europe a couple months ago with a guy about anti fragile. So I am a bit familiar. I, it's it's so cool. Um, yeah. Well, I've been reading it, and it's probably of the three books, it's the hardest to read because he's just mm-hmm. ranty. <laughs> Still really funny, but just overly ranty. I don't know. Maybe he's got too much fu money. I don't know. But he's <laughs> extra cranky. I- <laughs> I'm like, dude, you've already won. You know, why are you so cranky? <laughs> but he talks a lot about, um, you know, the what you're the practitioner versus mm-hmm. the the academic, and and how you have to have skin in the game, and you don't need to have all these, you know, like degrees and all this crap that's ultimately just for show. 
you know? Um, What you need is sort of like this, he equates it to like, um, you know, a cab driver in New York City or London, you know, that's really good, right? You can't do that job by like studying about London (laughs) or New York, right? You just have to do it, you know, over and over and over again. And your body learns it, you know, through practice. Yeah, that, that, that's the exact same thing with, with martial arts or right. where you can't read a book about, uh, about martial arts and you can read, you can study, you can have the best academic knowledge in the world and you're going to lose in about five seconds with, uh, you know, with anybody because that's, that's studied because you haven't become it and that you, you become it by doing it. So it is, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your, your kind of like hedonistic adventures because those are funny. <laughs> oh my gosh, hedonistic adventures. I, at one point, I, my vision of what I was supposed to be doing was that anything I could eat or consume was what I would, that was my mission. I, would, I had, and part of that, when I look back, was I was, I didn't believe that I, I was actually had actually earned it in my mind, and so I wanted to consume everything as fast as possible before the gig was up, before the universe found out that I wasn't supposed to have all this wealth and oh, money and, right, right, and everything. Right. Okay. So I, I remember going into restaurants and going, okay, what's the most expensive thing I can eat? How much of it can I eat? How much how much wine can I drink? And that was part of who I was at the time. And then right. I would bring other people into the mix and say, hey, let's go celebrate. And it's like, well, what are we celebrating? Who cares? Let's go consume something. And so that's what we would do. <laughs> And I was. I, was I remember a good that time. feeling. Mine was um, less expensive than yours, but I remember that feeling. Yeah, we all go through that. Yeah, well, and it gets really dangerous when you have an American Express black card and yes. there's no limit. Just yes. go, hey, let's party, let's rock, wow. and yeah, that it, it just that was the entire lifestyle. It was about the the faster car. I, I remember buying the Ferrari, and that wasn't enough. I needed to go have other cars, so I joined a car club so I could drive Lamborghinis and Bentleys and everything else. Wow. And it was just it was more and more. It was the the Josh Brolin uh, question answer that Shia LaBeouf asked in in Wall, in Wall Street too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's like, so what's your number? And he goes, what number? And and Shia says, well, it's your number. You're you're like when you're you're done. And how much is that when you're you're just you walk away and and Josh says more and that was my entire philosophy it was more, more. how much can I consume I need more yeah. there was there was like okay what's the fulfilling part didn't matter I was going to consume everything consume relationships consume things and it would it was never going to end so the universe said I have another idea let's teach you about this about this whole more concept right and it punched me in the face and it 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 was it's something that I remember hearing from Buckminster Fuller talking about the taps that the universe gives us yeah I love and. That. Yeah, I, I my my most powerful tap. I think the best example was my skydiving when I I went skydiving like 15 years ago, and the first time I went, I lost my right arm. I it, I got a um, my chute pinched my under my arm, and I lost my right bicep. So I had this dead arm hanging for six months, which wow. makes it really hard. To, brush your teeth when your arm doesn't move and eventually got my arm back and I went again and lost my left arm. So this is, this happens one in a million times and I happened, it's two for two for Damien. And and then this is definitely, these are definitely taps. These are taps. This is the universe saying, what are you doing? This is not, hello. (laughs) Hello. Yeah. Right. Hello. And, and, and so I said, well, it couldn't possibly happen three times in a row. So I jump and I, my chute gets all twisted and had to cut it loose and came down. I was so close to the ground. The people, my, my team was on the ground and they could, they, they were screaming, they could hear me screaming. And then I cut the thing loose and everybody in the city dialed 911 because there's a free falling guy at like 1500 feet heading right for the power lines. And wow. so Whoa. that, that was intense. I mean, so I, you had I, your death door moment at 15,000 feet. Yeah, uh, but that wasn't enough because I, apparently I thought that's okay. I've cleared out all all the statistics and it couldn't get worse. I wasn't listening to the universe. And right. so I jumped the fourth time and that was the last time because when I jumped and I landed and everything was fine and my arms worked and no shoot had failed, I, I turned the radio on and the space shuttle had just cr- exploded over me as it crashed over Arizona and Texas. And, and I went, okay, I can't jump again. The universe has given me the last warning before something really bad is going to happen. So <laughs> I was I was out, man. I, I tapped out. The universe said, fine, we'll go f- teach you something else. But this lesson is going to get wow. like really bad. So wow. that was that was the universe tapping. So was that your trigger moment for <sighs> you or not? No, man. The, the, no. Jeff, the trigger the trigger moment was was the moment where I realized I was in so much fear and so out of 
line with with integrity. I was I was in I was in Arizona, and this is after I'd had my meltdown. I lost money, and I but I still hadn't shifted because. It, it was an internal shift. External is all the money's gone. You, you, you have to internally shift. Or you're going to do the same thing. And and I wasn't there yet. The the trigger moment when I was, I was sitting at my, this house and I'd gone off the grid. W- was not telling anybody where I was. I was still pretending everything was good and everything was crashing around, around me. And I had a knock at the door. And I thought that's weird. Nobody even knows I'm here. And and I went to the door. And I looked out the peephole and I see these four people with pistols on their side with badges. And I thought, holy shit, they're here to get me. And I didn't even know who they were. Whoa. I didn't know, oh, I, I didn't right, know right. why. I, I just I, – I freaked out, quietly crawled back into a closet and hid for a couple hours and sat there and, and was just waiting, like waiting them out. Wow. It was like some crazy like standoff or something. And eventually – I snuck outside, went around the house, and walked up to the front door to see if they were still there, kind of waiting for the Tyrannosaurus Rex with badges to jump out and eat me or, or something. But they were real. Kind they of. were real. No, this was – I didn't, I didn't this make this up. This was actually happening. You weren't on it, a drug trip or anything. No, no, no drug <laughs> trip. Uh, fear trip. Total fear trip. I was, right. I was tripping on this thing. And and I so there was an envelope on the door, and I, I walk up, and I look at it, and I'm going, oh, gosh, what happened? Did I just get served? Like, what's happening? And I went up, pulled it off the door, opened it up, and pulled this piece of paper out, just waiting for it to say, Dear Damien, guess what? You're screwed. And I, I look at it and it says, Dear Miss Dorman. And it was the lady from that had been in the house before me, and it was the IRS saying that she owed some money. And there were four agents that came over, and I went – Oh my gosh, that's awesome! And and then all of a sudden, I just started crying because I had broken into this. I broken through this place of fear and recognized that that I was living in it. It didn't matter whether it was for her or for me. I I was in a place where I was just a mess, and I needed to fix me. This was just the perfect opportunity for the universe to purposefully put that envelope on my door, even though it wasn't technically for me. It was absolutely for me. Wow, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, talk about getting up to your knees. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, how did you how did you start your transformation from there? How did it how did it shake out? So at that point, I, I think I started to realize that, and then this was fortunately, I had a lot of a lot of personal development work I'd done, and. I, something in me had a little dose of humility and said, "You need help. You need. You need. You really need somebody else because you don't know how to fix this. You don't know how to fix you." And and so I started. I reached out and started talking to people with counseling. And and ultimately, I moved to Austin and met with a guy that is. I actually teach martial arts with him now. And we we spent a couple of years peeling back layers of who I was and and what I was all about and asking the questions. And the the main question, I talk about this in the book too, is asking what is true. And it's the most powerful question to get into a state of consciousness in like 15 seconds. You ask, what is true? And it forces you to put yourself into a very foundational space. It's not just fluff. It's not smoke. You're asking what's true. And you keep asking that and you break through all the bullshit. And I realized that I had connected to, I was very insecure and it was all about surface level expression to prove something to somebody else because I didn't know who I was and I didn't really like who I was. And that was the hardest work to rewire me. And what I'd been doing is just showing up and kind of pretending I was somebody else and people would give me feedback. And so I had to to break through all those. I had to to peel all those layers back. And it, it took a couple of years of having that conversation and and observing how I was showing up even as I was going through the process because it's not like you just say oh I get it and it's a weekend epiphany and no, you clap no, your no, hands no. and pound your chest and yeah. you're done like that and, is and not you how you take it off of a of a checklist and you put it on your resume and you move on to the next thing it's not no. No. <laughs> that is not how this works it is not that and uh, I think key here is nobody would choose to do this Right. right. You do it because it's either that or you're going to die. Literally. It's necessary. I, Jeff, that, that was that was what was happening. I mean, it, yeah. and it's not just a, it's not just a metaphor. No, I no. actually checked in. I, I checked into the Mayo Clinic in I think it was 2006 or 2000. It was during this whole buildup. And I was because there I was off on the wrong course. It was killing me. I checked in for a week because I was passing out, I was falling apart, I was nauseous every day for two years. And 
I went in there and I said, I think I've got cancer. I think I'm dying. And so they poked and prodded and scanned and everything. And they came back and said, we can't find anything. I'm like, Have you, did you find a soul? Do I have a heart? Like, is there anything? <laughs> right. And, right. And they're like, you, you, I think you're stressed. And I go, really? And it was all that toxicity was being built up and there was no place for it to go. I didn't have a channel because I was just absorbing everything and coming from such a, such a, a, a bad, sad, dark place in my life of more and more and more right. that I was becoming, I was, it, the universe was like, all right, we'll just kick your ass and kill you because you're really not supporting anything useful or productive. And so I had to, I, it was killing me and it does kill you that you can't go on forever with that type of mindset or, or that, uh, that trajectory without the universe taking your health and, and your life, I, I believe. And it was doing it to me. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, when I went through my journey, uh, there's a lot of similar sorts of lessons, but it, it came from almost like a diametrically opposed sort of situation because I don't know why, but I never really bought into the hedonistic kind of, well, I guess I did, but I got over it rather young, right? And I, in my 20s, I, I went through this depression and there were suicide attempts, right? Yeah. Um, and it was basically just because um, I... I came to this conclusion that life was absurd, right? <laughs> In a lot of ways, right? And my opinion didn't really change, but I accepted it and got... Um, it wasn't necessarily that it was absurd, but the reality of existence does have you these sort of like absurdities that you either accept or reject. <laughs> yes. But whether or not, the, the, whether you accept them or reject them makes them no less true. Uh, uh, does that make any sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. This, this came to me when I was, did you watch this TV show called True Crime? I think it was called, no, True Detective. It was an HBO show with uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, Matthew McConaughey. No. Well, the first season was amazing. Second season was a little too dark, but anyway, mm. the uh, Matthew McConaughey's character is depressed because he lost. Uh, I want to say he lost a, a child and a and a spouse. So he is just totally dedicated to work because he's just lost, right? Yeah. And he's really super smart, but like the epitome of. People, uh, somebody with all the bullshit stripped away, looking at reality and not liking it, right? But mm. seeing the same exact truths that I saw when I did my journey, but I was the difference was was I came out happy about it, <laughs> if that makes yeah. any sense. But I was looking at the same elephant. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that that made absolutely no sense to anyone else other than maybe me and Damien. I don't know. Yes, yes, <laughs> odd ducks. Right, right. Well, it's this whole. Have you ever heard that 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 story about how the universe is um, a whole bunch of blind people reaching through a hole, touching an elephant, but nobody <laughs> knows that it's an elephant. So they mm -hmm. and we're all like describing the universe, but we're only getting like a tiny fragment of information. Yeah, a tusk or a leg or a nostril or, <laughs> right, 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 or, or a butt. tail yeah, or yeah, a butt. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. But we need all those input to put to get a tapestry, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I, I I like talking about these sorts of things, right? <laughs> I, I love that. It's funny too because it, we it, it values and it creates this tolerance and this hope for other people and how their point of view is so relevant because without that we wouldn't truly have the understanding a complete understanding yeah. of anything. Yeah. And it's I, I love that. Yeah. Well, and I love that you put a, a Course in Miracles in your book because I, I, that was one of my uh, recovery books. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it's hard to read, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. That, that, was, that, that was that process, the two-year process where we, we sat down every week, uh, sometimes twice a week, depending on how much, I, I say progress, it depends on how many layers I was unfolding and how, many, how much speed I had that week. And we would dive into the course, and it would—it was so incredible to be talking about what was going on and what I was, what I was thinking about the previous week when I had left and, and gone off on my own. And and my, uh, my my friend would say, 
hold on a second. He grabbed the course and he would hand it to me and he'd go page 365, go down to the second paragraph, third sentence. And I'd read it and I go, I just said that. He goes, yeah, you did. And I would just, I'm looking at him and that was the power of having somebody that was so present with me mm. and was, was, had, was holding space in such wow. a powerful way That's a mind that was dialed right in. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was mind blowing. <laughs> it was the mind- biggest gift ever. I mean, just to, oh, yeah. to be there. I mean, that's, that's one of the most important things I think someone can do is to find someone that can hold space and, mm. and open you up to you if you realize that something needs if to change. If you're ready, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah if you're yeah. ready. It's, right. it, it's powerful. Yep. There was this book I read. Uh, man, now, of course, I can't remember the name of it. It was one of the books. It was like this free book out there on the Internet. It was just this PDF, right? And it was on the way. Um, to me, um, finding A Course in Miracles. It referenced it a lot. But mm. the, the, the key point that I took away from that was that what if the world as it is, is perfect, right? And it's mm. designed for us to grow, right? Because the default path is suffering, right? Yes. <laughs> And it takes a long time, maybe many lives. We don't know. That's, you know, you can talk about that. We don't know. Um, But, you know, it's sort of like that was the first time anybody ever presented that idea that the world is just fine and it's you that might need fixing. (laughs) Yes. I was like, well, wait, what? (laughs) And it, and it, that was a big shift for me. You know, mm-hmm. it, and it took a lot of the the fear and the pressure away because it was well, I can I can fix me. I mean, that's me. I I, I got that. You know, I and and I you know took the pressure off because I didn't have to worry about fixing the world anymore. Well, Jeff, that, that kind of reminds me of this conversation that the that people have been having, especially in the in the United States over the last few months, or even maybe the last couple of years, with this whole election and how people were so wound up in who was going to be elected president, and they were it. And what I saw when I was watching this whole thing, I was so busy with my stuff that I wasn't that engaged, but I did pay attention enough to realize that people were going into a victim mode where their life was resting on who was going to get into office, and I kept yeah. going. How does that work with with self responsibility? If if you are focused right. on that and that's going to determine your happiness, then you have given away all your power and you can't do anything about that. So how right. does that? That's not. I mean, who are you? And I, a lot of people that are very smart that I I talked to were really wound up, and I just went, "It. Who cares? Go do something. You're in charge of you. Go go do something with you. That's what you own." I started this this uh, this election cycle meeting and uh, another massage therapist who was you know on the woo woo side, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like telling me about Bernie Sanders and how she's all into that uh, Bernie Sanders thing. And, and I was like, who's Bernie? And, uh, and she's like, oh, they, she's great. And, and we started talking about how what she was calling, she's like big into um, Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they refer to people that, um, who I call normies, the, the folks that haven't really woken up much. She called them sheeple. I thought that was a little judgy. Sheeple. Sheeple. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a little judgy. I just call them normies. They're just normal, you know. <laughs> normal, you know. I'm weird. They're normal. Yeah, no judgment. Um, but I was like, what my, my thing was when she said Bernie, I was like, yeah, the normies are waking up a little bit more, like every day. And that was just like a year and a half ago. But now... You know, you're right that that whole I've been on that train of, you know, it's not the president's job to get you a job to get over for a long time, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, to the point where I don't even bring it up anymore. It's just like, mm, yeah, all right. I get it. All right. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but at least now, I think the the younger folks out there are waking up to what's going on and what has been going on for, you know, a very long time <laughs> about you know our leaders and and uh they're lying you know plain and simple and they've been bought and paid for you know i i, I totally agree there was there was so much different about this and it's and they just and have, it, they know now 
That's the yeah. Thing. That's the thing. Yeah. It's and, so and blatantly it's obvious to everybody now. I did, totally. And uh, so many questions were put out there. People are now, and with Google and everything, people can can inquire and they can actually have different conversations, which is where the growth comes from. Asking right. better questions, and right. that's I think that's what a lot of what happened here. It was people asking questions. There's there's definitely a lot of victim and and uh, not self responsibility at the same time. That one of the best gifts was all the new conversation and going towards truth, asking what is true, big picture, small picture. And that's, that's a gift. I mean, regardless of the outcome, that's a huge gift for society. It is. is. Yeah. We're definitely getting a, a a dose of growth, whether we like it or not. (laughs) Yes, we are. A global shift just happened. It's amazing, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Total Control Financial because, you know, it's not as fun as talking about, you know, personal growth and Aikido and Yokido and awesome, cool stuff like that. But, hey, we all need to protect our money. Well, yeah, what Jeff, did you this figure is, out? This, because it sounds this like is, a hack. <laughs> it's a it's a super hack, and it goes yeah. right back to what we just talked about with with self responsibility. Because for so long in our in society, when we I don't know about you, I grew up in and in military environment, and it was right. all about get a get a good uh, education, get a job, save money for retirement, and all will be well. And I went, right. oh yeah, what? No, that doesn't really work. I mean, that, I don't think that works. Okay. So I kind of challenged that from the beginning, which is why I went off into the real estate space. What what I found as I, I got older and was looking at the math, the numbers, understanding what was really going on, looking behind the curtain, it became really, really evident that the the system was set up to support the system more than it was the participants. Totally. And it and it, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one of the the things that I was thinking about this this weekend on a, a trip out to Arizona. I was asked why am I why I'm doing this, and I remember thinking, well, there's you know there's one one reason is because I watched both of my parents show up at retirement, and basically they were broke. They had a little bit of money. They bought into the system, right. and they really hadn't they hadn't, they didn't they didn't end up with abundance and wealth, and so they were still nervous, and they they didn't have much in terms of resources. Right. The thing that really hit me though, because that was annoying, it was irritating to see them being right, struggling they, in their they, 60s. They played by the rules. They totally played by the rules and they were and they were doing the best they could and they trusted that thing and and the thing that really hit me that when I and it it was pretty tough to acknowledge to but it's it's a driver and it was two three years ago I was sitting with my dad and he was really sick going through chemo and with cancer and he he just he said you know I'm, I uh, I've got some options I can move to out of the house and I can go into this one uh, this one house where like it's a masonic house or something where they take care of me and I basically transfer my last remaining assets over there and and that way they'll take care of me so that I'm not a burden on you guys and I went this sucks and and he was so he was so concerned about running out of money that in his mind he chose to run out of life very quickly so that there would be something left to give to his family and it wasn't much oh, right. but it mattered it, <laughs> yeah, it mattered like, to him yeah it mattered to him so within 2 months he was dead oh, and geez. it was wow. I, I looked at that and I go that sucks it freaking that sucks suck. that someone would say I I'm I don't have enough and I want to have something there for my family and I thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something different. And it's it's not the system that people have bought into. It's a system of owning your financial life. And that's what this company. That's what that's what we're all about. It's this obsession. I mean, when when I I read Grant Cardone's new, newest book, Obsessed, Be Obsessed or Be Average. We are all obsessed. We study this book. We study that philosophy. It's all about this obsession to get people clear and in control of their money and and so that they're not in that type of position. I would I don't want anybody to ever be in that position where they say, I'm going to die. It probably it probably took my dad away months earlier than he would have gone if he felt like the resources were there, wow. it, it yeah. cost him his life. And yeah. I, that's, so the, that's what we're doing is, we're, yeah, it was, it's, it is, it's totally insane. And I, we're, we're giving that power to people to be able to opt out of the system. And when people go, okay, what does that mean? You know, you're opting out. It means you're taking control. You're taking your money away from Wall Street. You're, you're putting it into, we put it into your hands. So your retirement money is, is in your hands. Mm-hmm. And then you're in charge. You're responsible. You've got a checkbook with your retirement money, with your 401k, IRA, whatever. And you're making decisions to go invest and be in charge so that you're not just turning over control and being a victim. And and then if you're going to actually spend time engaging with it, you don't have to have that concern when you're 60 or 70 years old because you can create abundance 
it's up to you and we're creating the tools and the education and and yeah. that, that vehicle and that's what this is all about it's about taking people away from that fear and putting them into a space of hope and possibility and abundance not i'm really nervous and i'm not going to have enough and oh, this sucks and i don't want to look at my money right. because i'm afraid oh, of it oh, yeah, that, yeah. that's a terrible place yeah and that and that is such a um a huge lesson. I learned something similar like that from my dad. He's still alive in his 80s, thank, thank God. Um, but he lost all of his IRA money when when the stock market tanked. What, in like 07, 08 or when, the last time it did? <laughs> Whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and I was like, oh, man, I felt like I had failed because yes. I, I wasn't there to give him that, that wisdom that I had learned is that when the stock market tanks, you buy. Right. <laughs> you don't sell, Dad. And right. it was too late, you know, but I was like, you know, now I feel like I owe money, you know. But but I get it, you know. He's uh, he's in one of the, the weird – my parents are in, still in upper Mi- Michigan, and it's one of the few places where you can more or less survive off of Social Security. He's doing mm. it. Yeah. He only dips into his savings when he needs a new car. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, they're, they're living longer than they thought they were going to live. So I'm probably going to buy him a new car at some point, but their cars are cheap. You know, that they, they don't, they don't buy new, new cars, you know? So, but I get, yeah. you, you know, the, yeah. the whole, um, idea of, uh, you know, well, first off the 401k is kind of a ripoff anyway. Um, oh, it's a huge ripoff. It's, it's a scam. It's a huge. I mean, I've my philosophy toward the four hundred one k is, you know, invest the minimum to get whatever the match is, just because that's free money. You know, you want to do that, but then quit as soon as possible, <laughs> or get an in service rollover if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the I, I, I love that. I, I love that idea of the in-service. A lot of companies are they won't let you because of the way right. that they're set up. Right. And, and and if you don't know what an in-service rollover, it just means you get to pull your money out of that plan the company While you're working you're for. And, yeah. Yeah. And then you you move it into a place where you have control. It's what what people. It's like the United States of amnesia. People don't realize that we're in we're in cycles. And like 2008 was only eight years ago, and people go, "Oh, right. everything is pretty good." And the reality is, There's we are bubble. going to go through it. There yeah. is. There's oh my gosh, right now. Is, yeah. we're, we're back yeah. into the bubble. And yeah. I guarantee that we are going to have a, I, I would risk everything I have knowing for certain that we are going to have a massive correction and it is coming sooner than later. And right. what, what, what people don't realize, and it's, again, this is math, that because of our the way the laws are set up back in the 70s with ERISA, which created the 401ks, we are forced, people are forced to pull money out of their 401k at age 70 and a half. And the baby boomers turn 70 and a half this year at a rate that's spiking because they, 70 right. and a half is 70 years after they all started being born. Wow. So, so we've got this huge amount of money that's going to be pulled out of the stock market because that's where most of the 401k assets are, which means wow. when all that money gets pulled out yeah. and it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger being pulled out, the markets will crash. They have to. It's mathematically impossible that they don't. Right. So. Is it going? It's, it's not going to come out all at once, though, right? I mean, oh, well, no, no oh, I get it, I get it. They have to start taking distributions, whatever yes. those are. But yep. times a gajillion is going to yes. be a <laughs> oh crap! It's billions. <laughs> it's like uh, how, do you, how do you counter that? Why did you about- do this to me? Damn it! Oh wow! Oh yeah, that's yeah. really simple math. To, it's simple math. That's it's super it, simple it, math. Yeah, it, because it's only yeah. like a couple hundred dollars or whatever it is. Like you know. But times a gajillion is going to be a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's t- it's so ten thousand people a day are forced into the space where they have to pull out an average of a thousand dollars a month. Ten thousand right. wow. times a thousand wow. yeah, times yeah, twelve months. We're talking massive outflows. Nonlinear kind of. Yeah. Uh-uh. All right. Not it's good. bad news. It's no bueno. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So I need to relook at my uh, my hedging effects for sure's. Anyway. Yeah, it's time to look at that stuff. It's time to it's time to take yeah. control of that stuff. Have, Any anybody that's that's not that's saying, okay, my my financial advisor, no, 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 your financial salesperson, your financial advisor <laughs> is selling you stuff. They're not advising you in most right, cases. Right, right, so right. you it's time to take control. It's time to take ownership of of your money. And and there's 
that that's all that's all about you. You can't be a victim. You can't say I got somebody telling me what to do. No, you got you got to understand why you're doing it. Yep. And you've got to spend the time yeah, and you have to learn it. and uh, and you have to own it. Totally own it. That's that's the key. Yeah, owning it. Owning it. Yep, I concur with your assessment, Dr. Connor. Okay, Total Control <laughs> Financial. <laughs> Damien Lupo, this has been a blast. I could talk to you. We could be like buds, I think. Totally, man. Yeah. The Bald Brothers. The nice. Bald Brothers. <laughs> you could, you know, kick my ass just for sport. No, that would it would be zero sport. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, find out more at totalcontrolfinancial.com. And uh, Damien, thanks so much, and you have, you have a great Sunday. Thank you, Jeff. It's been awesome. Enjoy your day as well. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.